The Coonhound Collective Podcast is brought to you by CZ Welding and Custom Dog Boxes. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Check these guys out today. This is your host, Jason Snurgrove, and I will be your guide as we journey down the road to pleasure hunt or hitting the long trail to those great cop hunts. This is the Coonhound Collective Welcome to the Coonhound Collective Podcast today. Today I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Young, and he is a veterinarian. Dr. Young, how's it going today? It's doing good. How about you? Oh, pretty good. We're getting a little shower here in southwest Missouri, and, and we definitely need it, and, and and very appreciative of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been dry summer for a little while here in Virginia, and finally got some rain the last few weeks, so always grateful to have it. Yeah. Well, won't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, uh, kind of what you do, and obviously you're a veterinarian, and kind of kind of tell us where your practice is and stuff like that. Sure. Uh, my name is Dr. Taylor Young, and I am a mixed animal practitioner in Central Virginia. Uh, I live in Bedford. I work in Bedford County, uh, Virginia, and I see uh, primarily cats, dogs, and then horses and cattle, uh, and a little bit of, of other large animal stuff out on farms. Uh, but that makes up the bulk of my practice. And uh, I've been here uh, this current practice for a little over a year now, um, and uh, so I, I really enjoy being out on farms and working farm animals, but uh, hunting dogs are my personal uh, hobby and passion, something I've loved for a long time. And so kind of created this uh, this tree dog doc thing to uh, just try to help promote uh, health and, and welfare and vet- veterinary medicine with our, our tree dogs. And uh, so that's, that's kind of a little bit of my, my veterinary background and stuff that I do. Yeah, and I, I first heard you on Ben Sheets' Tree Talking Media podcast, and I thought, man, I've got to get this guy on here. And so then I got to searching you on Facebook and Instagram and, and I found it. And he, and if anybody's interested in going over and following him and, and seeing some of the articles he's gotten written they're they're really good. It's a uh, tree dog doc, uh, on Facebook. And I believe it's the same on Instagram and, and haven't you wrote some articles in, uh, full cry or American Cooner or one of those? Yeah, they, uh, they publish in both of those. I've been writing those for about half a year now. And uh, the, the, it's the same article in both magazines, but yep, yep, full cry and American Cooner. Okay, I first reached out to you because I had an issue with a dog that I brought into my kennel, and we're going to get to that here shortly. But before we get into that, one of the topics I discussed with you that I'd like to discuss is some of us are rural. Um, maybe we can or cannot get to a vet pretty quickly and if we cannot what what are some good things to have on the truck on hand that um we could keep with us in case of you know snake bite or dog getting cut or you know what have you can can you kind of go into what what a what a ideal first aid kit for a a hound would look like sure uh i would say the first thing is if in doubt call your vet and there's there's things you can get yourself into trouble with uh thinking that it's not a big deal we'll wait and see uh see how it turns out and, and you sometimes get yourself in trouble like that so so when in doubt call your vet but with that with that preface um when you're looking at a first aid kit there's kind of two ways that i do it you've got your you're in the vest 
or you're in the pouch kit to have out in the woods with you. And then there's, you can make a bigger kit to have in your truck. And you'll get a lot of different opinions depending on which pet you ask or which book you read or which online magazine article you read uh, about what you should have in which and what you should carry and not carry. But uh, I'll, I'll kind of cover things that I have and then uh, some other things that, that maybe you need depending on, on your location and what you run into most often. Uh, but in my in my vest, in my pockets, when I'm actually out in the woods chasing my dog, the the most helpful thing I probably have in there is a multi-tool. Uh, I carry a Leatherman on me all day, every day. And being able to have a pair of pliers in there to pull out thorns, uh, I guess depending on where you are, porcupine quills or something like that. Um, it's just really helpful having a knife on there. Uh, so that that's a helpful piece to have. And then the main thing you need to be able to stop while you're actually out in the woods is to stop a bad bleed. And we're talking a bleed that's, you know, that's gushing blood, they cut a artery, they cut something that's bleeding real heavily. I'm not just talking about a cut that's on the skin that's just a little bit bloody, but I'm talking about a major bleed. Uh, and basically to do that in the woods, you're, you're trying to apply pressure. And so having bandage material, you can apply pressure with and wrap it on there quickly uh, to be able to stop that is, is important. So that's stuff like a couple gauze pads, uh, some, some probably some stretch gauze, and then some vet wrap. And so those couple things right there, you put the gauze on the bleed, you wrap it with some of the stretch gauze, and then fi- finishing that up with vet wrap applied more tightly than you would uh, on a regular bandage will be able to help hold pressure on something that's bleeding until you can get them back to the truck. Past that, maybe some saline if you have some room for it. Uh, saline is just kind of uh, similar to salt water, but it's made you know sterile and made for for flushing, uh, like something in an eye, or if you had a, a shallow wound that was really dirty and you were trying to flush it out before you wrapped it, uh, that would be a good thing to have. Uh, but past that, that's you know, realistically, there's these big you know gun dog kits you can buy, and it's packed all kinds of stuff in it. Uh, but that's not really practical to carry out while you're actually walking in the woods with you. But that stuff will get you through most of the stuff that you're going to run into. And, and really, that's, that's stuff like a bad bleed or, uh, you know, something of really bad laceration that you just need to wrap and keep clean until you get back to the truck. Uh, once you get back to the truck, you can obviously have a lot more in there. And, again, you'll, you'll have different opinions uh, on what you need to have and not have. But stuff to better address the wound, uh, to be able to better address a, you know, a bad cut or a laceration, uh, and then trying to keep things clean and, uh, and dry it out until you can get it better assessed over the things that we're, we're looking at in the truck. So, so more bandage material, uh, you can have your, those gauze pads and non-adherent pads too are really nice for something that's going to be wrapped up a little bit longer. Um, you can have you can easily keep your flush in your truck and when i'm saying flush i'm talking saline flush uh don't use this is this is a common uh, error a lot of people use hydrogen peroxide to flush out a wound or something like that hydrogen peroxide come to find out is actually damaging to cells that we're trying to get in there to heal things and so putting peroxide in there actually delays wound healing and so vets have moved away from using peroxide uh, and instead, it's better to just use just plain saline. Uh, you can get that sometimes in the your your pharmacy 
uh, some some versions come in a can, or some of them are like just a saline eye flush. That's usually fine. Uh, and then you can add some disinfectants to it. If you go down to the farm store and get some form of iodine, uh, you make sure it's labeled for use in wounds and dogs because there's some stronger versions out there. But you know, iodine or betadine type solutions, you can add to that saline. And that gives you some antibacterial properties in there. Uh, Novosan or chlorhexidine is the generic solution. Uh, not scrub, but use solution. You can add that some some disinfectant, uh, any of those things, and and really that's for for flushing wounds that you can tell are shallow enough, but they're you know he ran through the creeks and mud and dirt and got got it contaminated with with dirt, and you just want to flush it out and see what you're dealing with. Uh, so some flush is really good to have, and it's really important too for anything that you're going to bandage. Uh, and you'll notice I'm saying bandage and not staple or stitch, and I'll come back to that. But before you before you wrap dirt into a wound, it's important to try to get it as clean as you can. Uh, and some good flush is, is really helpful to do that. Um, some things with flushing, if it's too deep where you can't see, especially if it's on the main trunk of the animal, you know, on the chest or on the abdomen, be really careful with flushing. You don't want to add uh, fluids into a space that's not supposed to have it, like into the, the thorax, into the chest cavity between the lungs and the chest wall or into the abdomen. Uh, but, you know, for things like on the leg, or uh, the the ear, uh, the you know the uh, in the hips, the places like that, you're usually okay to flush and try to get some of that dirt out of there as you can. When I so they come back to staples and sutures uh, or stitches, there's there's a real opportunity there to get yourself in trouble. And I know it's really popular and common to have a stapler in your truck and just go ahead and put the skin edges back together and call it good, but you know, I, I get to clean up the messes that get made with that. And what can happen is if you're if you're just stitching or suturing over a cut or a wound uh, and you don't know how deep it is or where it's headed uh, inside that dog's body, what you're doing is you're closing up the ability for air to get to it and you're closing up bacteria that's in that wound because just about any wound that's going to happen while you're out hunting is, is dirty and you're, you're closing up bacteria in there. And that just allows that stuff to grow and to fester and can really cause a problem. So I would advise against using the stapler stitches for anything other than just trying to put two pieces of skin together. Maybe you've got a big old flap or a piece of skin that's hanging down and you're just trying to keep it together and covered while you're on your way to, to get definitively handled. I think that's okay. And a stapler is good for that, but just use it sparingly and use just enough to, to oppose those edges uh, and if you also consider uh, how that staple feels while you're getting in there awake, it doesn't feel good. Um, if you want to try it out on yourself, go ahead and see how it feels to have a stapler put in your skin while you're awake. It's not great. So use them just enough to do what you need and then get it to a vet where they can properly clean it and assess it under some sedation or anesthesia. Um, so that's kind of wound stuff. Other things that you can handle out in, in truck and with your kit uh, would be things like uh, you know, areas of swelling or of inflammation, bruising, things like that. Um, you know, they ran over a log and didn't quite make it and knocked their leg and then you got a spot that's swollen. Something like a good ice pack, one of those packs you can get for your first aid kit uh, for you where you kind of crush it together and it has a chemical reaction, makes it real cold. Uh, that can help a lot with some swelling. You can use a little vet wrap or something to help hold it on there. Uh, don't apply that directly to an area of swelling. You can put a little padding in between the, pa the, the ice pack in there 
and uh, help hold that on. Um, there's controversy about using you know, steroids and antihistamines like Benadryl for swelling uh, or for insect bites, for example, stings, snake bites. Uh, in general, I would, I would, would not prescribe out a steroid like dexamethasone because it's really easy to get yourself in trouble again with, with dexamethasone and I would not advise giving it in cases of swelling or especially for snake bites. There's actually a good study out and I posted that on one of my social media posts uh, that says steroids really don't help with a snake bite. So that's not something I'd reach for. Um, in histamines like Benadryl, there's lots of varying opinions among even amongst veterinarians on whether that's okay to use and give. I think it's probably okay talk with your vet about a dose. You'll see lots of different dose ranges uh, and they can advise you on what's appropriate for your dog. But for something like an insect sting on the mouth or, uh, you know, they, they bit a hornet as, as a yellow jacket nest erupted after they, they've done, danced over it. Um, that's probably something that can be helpful and, and good to have in your, in your truck box. Um, other things you can handle, you know, let's say you're uh, going on a, a trip and uh, you're you're going on a competition hunt out of state or something like that. You're going on a, a weekend long trip hunting with your buddies. Uh, something to handle some basic GI issues is a good thing to have on hand. Uh, and when I'm talking GI issues, I'm talking like diarrhea and vomiting. So stuff to have for for diarrhea would be uh, to start with a prebiotic or and a probiotic. There's those are kind of different things. A prebiotic helps feed the bacteria that's already in your your dog's gut. Probiotic. Um, is, is the actual bacteria themselves, and there's a ton of different brand names and a ton of different variations. Uh, a popular one that's been used in a lot of hunting dogs is Fortiflora, made by Petrina. You can get those in little dry packets and uh, put it on their feed, or you can get it in tablet form. And that's a good thing to start, even if you're about to head out of town, and you just need to, to try to get a, a heads up because, you know, your dog gets traveling diarrhea or stress diarrhea. And uh, that's something you can start before you go. But even if you don't and you're trying to help it while you're out there, that's a good thing to have. Uh, there's also lots of different anti-diarrheal meds out there. And uh, th there's some that we use, uh, like Propectolin as a paste that's got some stool firmer in there and some probiotics in there, some Indesorb tablets, so and your vet may have a different version of these. Uh, but that's a good thing to have to help kind of help dry up some diarrhea. That can dehydrate a dog pretty quick. And, uh, and not to mention make a mess in your box, right? So uh, having something to help address that is good, good to have. For vomiting, uh, there's a really great drug called Serenia, and that's something that I would feel comfortable scripting out to somebody who uh, has a dog that you're, you're going out of town with or you think might get a little car sick. Um, and that's, that's just an anti-vomiting med. And it can really help uh, for a dog that's having some GI upset, uh, maybe something to hate out in the woods or uh, having some car sickness. And those, those are both these things that are easy to have a few tablets in your, your first aid kit back in your truck box and ready to go. Um, past that, that's kind of the, the list of things and how to use them that I keep in my truck. Was there anything else that I missed that you can think of that you have run into in the field or, or would want to know to have? No, I, I don't think so. I just The only thing I missed was when I was 16, I had a black and tan coon hound got bit on the ear. And I guess it went through a vein in his ear. And, I mean, it, oh, my God, it bled. And you never said stick mud in it. That's what I did when I was 16. <laughs> I got up, I got mud off the creek bank and packed his ear with it. 
and got him home and it wouldn't stop bleeding. And I've always used large animal vets. So I called my large animal vet up and said, Hey, I got a hound got bit on the ear and it's bleeding. I can't get it to stop. And he said, I'll bring him over here. And I took him over. He ended up having to put a stitch in it just to, just to get it to stop bleeding. So I, I missed the mud part there. <laughs> no, well, I, you know, in, in those bleeding situations, stopping the bleeding is the first thing, and then uh, you can you can clean up the mud later. So probably wasn't the, wasn't the worst thing you could have done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's just you know being being a young kid not knowing. I thought, well, hey, mud will pack around it, so maybe that'll stop <laughs> it. But it, it it didn't. No, I I think that was really really great information. Um, a lot of those things I keep with me. Uh, I do have a Leatherman, but I leave it usually in my deer hunting bag but uh now that you've now that you've said that especially thorns out here where i'm at we have a lot of locust trees and i've actually um had dogs have the thorn go in their in their pad or foot and have to go back to the truck and dig around and find a pair of pliers so I, I think i'm gonna move that leatherman so i can have it with me uh in my comp vet uh vest all the time there because I, I i do think that's a that's a good thing to have with you I, I hadn't really thought about that i thought well i just need to buy me a small pair of pliers and throw in my vest or something but i, I do got a leatherman down there i will move so I, no I, I think all that was good information and um you know g- good things to have and i think i think people can definitely gain something from that if they don't already have those things in there hey guys this is jason over at the coonhound collective podcast is your dog box starting to get warm? Maybe it's starting to get a little crack like mine is. Maybe you've just been thinking about it's time to upgrade to a, to a new box, but you've asked your buddies and you're just not real sure what direction to go in. Well, let me help you out here. Go check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication Custom Dog Boxes and Aluminum Products on Facebook. You can check out all their custom work they do there and their designs that they do. If you don't see something that you don't exactly like there, reach out to Nathan at 540-810-5439, 540-810-5439, or send him a message through the Facebook page. I bet he can fix you up. Don't wait till fall to get that new dog box. Go ahead, get that dog box now. Get you uh, get you something looking good in the back of your truck that, that you can be proud of and that you can haul your dog around in comfort. Check my friends out at CZ Welding and Fabrication. You won't go wrong. Dog boxes built by hunters for hunters. Get yours today. CZ Welding and Fabrication. So before we move into the next thing, I forgot to ask you this at the first so you could tell us about it. And you mentioned your dog a couple of times in there when you're out there hunting. So tell us about what kind of dog you hunt because you're a hunter also besides being a vet and you hunt a tree dog. So tell us a little bit about your dog and and uh, what, he, what he is and, and what you're hunting with him. Sure. Yeah, right now I'm hunting a, uh, he's just a little over a year old, uh, Ladner Blackmouth Cur from down in Mississippi. His name is Rip, and uh, he's, he's, a, he's a hoot. He's uh, my second Ladner dog. I had another growing up, and uh, we hunted squirrels and, and coons with her, and uh, I, I got out of it for a little while going to school and then the vet school and just kind of ran out of time got married and started a family and uh, once i got out of vet school uh, i knew it was going to be another ladin occur i just i just loved my first one so much and so the rip is currently getting hunted on squirrels he's uh man he had a lot of miles put on him last season and still didn't end up with him him treeing more than just a few uh by sight 
and uh, but he's he's coming along. We've kept him in the woods this summer as much as I can, and and he's starting to do, get out some good hunt uh, range and you know, 200, 300 yards. And uh, I think we're pretty close to getting some some tree and by scent, and we ought to be rolling once kill season opens back up. And uh, we'll probably switch to some some coons in late winter uh, once once the leaves get off the trees and once I get him better a little bit better started on squirrel. And I've got a I've got quite a few properties that's got some coons around here, and uh, so we're we're looking forward to switching over to that here soon too. Yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. I shared with you earlier that I had won a um, feist. Uh, dog uh, in a raffle that I'm be getting here at the end of the month, and um, I'm I'm super excited about that. I've never had a squirrel dog. I've always had coon hounds uh, of of some sort. Uh, I, I kind of like black and tans and English, and I, I've had a little bit of everything except for I think a red bone. But uh, but yeah, it, and and boy, it is super exciting when you know they're right there at that point of that switch getting flipped and and really taking off and and treeing and, and doing a good job for you it's super super exciting time that's right it sure is so uh the next subject that i i, I kind of brought up to you about was um tick-borne illnesses and one of the things that that i kind of we kind of talked about and i kind of wanted you to kind of discuss and talk about was um for example i give my dog uh a product like next guard or something something similar to that they've been on it for a while but i'm still seeing ticks are biting them but the ticks are dead that are on them are they still susceptible to tick-borne diseases because they're still getting bit by the tick initially and and if so is there anything we can do to stop that yeah so ticks and tick-borne disease uh, we see with increasing frequency we test for it routinely in our hospital, and you know I'd say probably most of you guys, if you're hunting coon dogs, if you're in an area to do so, you're you're be dealing with ticks. Um, so you know, to the first question, you get you're using a pill, but you're still seeing ticks on your dog. Is that okay? Are they still susceptible to disease? And is there anything else you can do for it? Um, so the pills are are really the best thing going right now. And that's NexGuard, Brevecto, Cordelio, Semperica. That's uh, the, the four big ones. I don't think I'm leaving anybody out. And they all use a drug in the same drug class of the isoxazolines, or there's different ways to say that, but uh, something that ends in laner. And so those drugs all work by, uh, they, they get absorbed into the dog's bloodstream. They maintain effective levels for 30 days or up to 90 days for the Brevecto pill. And the tick does not die until they actually crawl on the dog and bite and absorb that, that medication into their bloodstream, and then it kills the tick. And so it is normal to find ticks on your dog if you're on the pill uh, and to even have them be attached. But at that point, unless you just found one just after hunting, it's just attached, um, you should find them on there dead. And most of these pills... We use uh, Semperica most often because it's also offered in a combination pill called Semperica Trio that covers heartworms um, and, and some intestinal parasites too. But most of these pills will have a label claim to protect against Lyme disease. I know Semperica for a fact does one, uh, does have that label claim, and I believe the others do as well. But the, the idea is that the tick needs a certain amount of time attached to the dog 
in order to take a blood meal and then regurgitate basically back into the dog uh, those bacteria that they're carrying in their gut. And so the pills kill before that the disease is supposed to be transmitted. And so, yes, they are still being protected from those tick-borne diseases. However, it's it's not 100%. There, I For the first time ever, I've had a dog uh, that's been loyal on his uh, flea tick pill every month. He's been on the Semperic Trio, and he tested positive for Ehrlichia. And so no medication is 100% effective. Uh, that's whether that's the pills, the collars, the topicals, none of it is. So you got to realize that. But if you are faithful with your testing and your pill giving, some of these uh, medications will have a guarantee that basically says that if you can prove that you had a negative test, that you've bought enough of these pills to be given it, and your dog shows a positive for one of these diseases, I know some Paracatria specifically covers Lyme disease. Uh, the company that manufactures the pill will cover for follow-up testing and diagnosis and treatment of that disease. And, uh, and I think that's a pretty good cover. Uh, I think I think Comparica covers up to $2,500, uh, which, is, which is quite a big bill um, to follow up on if your dog does get positive for, for, for Lyme, at least. Um, and so, you know, that's that's a pretty good guarantee in my mind. It helps me feel better about, you know, I trust my own dog's uh, tick prevention for, with that pill. Um, so so that's a pretty good label claim uh, to back up those those cases where it does slip through the cracks. Um, but even with the pills, uh, you know, that's, since that's just an oral medication that they're taking in, uh, the, the nice thing is, is that for dogs at high risk of exposure, like our dogs being in the woods all the time, you can add stuff to the pill. And so you talk with your vet about which particular pill you're using and which particular topical you're interested in. But some people will combine the oral pill with a Seresto collar or they'll combine a pill with a topical spray or with one of the topicals like Vector 3D. Um, and like I say, check with your vet to make sure that the combination you're wanting to use uh, is, is appropriate. But what, what that will do is some of these topicals carry not just a tick killing claim, but they carry a repellency claim. Seresto uh, does, I believe Vectra 3D does, I believe Canine Advanix does, uh, that they're labeled for actual repelling. And then there's various sprays out there. Uh, people have been mixing permethrin from the farm store uh, in various concentrations for forever. I'd stay careful with that, but there's also plenty of permethrin mixes already pre-made that's already labeled safe for your dog. Uh, and I just use one of those personally. I use a spray for, for my dog, uh, and it's labeled to give no more than every seven days. And uh, I keep up with that and follow the directions and basically wet his hair down. And that can help keep the ticks from getting on there. And this just adds an extra layer of protection uh, from with, with the pill uh, so that they're not even getting to where they can bite. Uh, but those sprays, topicals, and the collar, unfortunately, none of those are as effective as they used to be. So I absolutely would not rely on them um, unless your dog can't have the pill for whatever reason, uh, seizures or neurologic issues being one of them. Uh, but I would not rely on them for most dogs for tick prevention, but they can be a good adjunct to the, the oral pills uh, to give you an extra layer of protection there. And uh, I'd advise just talking with your vet about which one of those might be okay to add along with it. Yeah, for sure. And one more time, can you say the name of that 
uh, peel that you that you're using that has the 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 guarantee on it that you know about? Yeah, it's it's Semperica is the that the one's just flea tick, um, and then there's a Semperica Trio that adds uh, two different drugs. It adds moxidectin for heartworm prevention, and then it adds pyrantal for uh, intestinal parasites like roundworms and hookworms. And uh, so I use the Semperica Trio in my dogs, uh, but the Semperica is the flea tick part of that. Okay. Yeah, that's that's good information to know, and like I said, I I, I had noticed that before on, on a, one of the medications that I, I was using uh, monthly, and uh, I always thought, well, if they're biting them, then they they can still get the whatever you know tick borne illness, and that 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 explains it very well. So that's good information to know. Um, okay, we're we're right at thirty minutes, and I, I don't want to keep you no longer, so I want to move into the to this other deal that I've talked to you about that um, we were texting and you text me and you said, I explained my situation and you said, yeah, I, th- I think that'd be a good topic. And you said the word biosecurity. And I thought, are you tired of whipping, scolding and shocking to make them get alone? Is your buddy tired of helping you set your dog up for correction night after night? Do you really want your dog to be alone because you forced him to be? Or would you rather him be alone because he wants to be? Grand Knight Champion Small Town Lone Survivor is the product of over 25 years of strong natural-born independent traits. This bold trait has been passed down from generation to generation and is showing up in loner offspring today. Loner is a direct son of Hall of Fame Grand Knight Champion Cabin Creek Rowdy and Grand Knight Champion Lonesome Dove Lori. Loner has a booming mouth that is talked about in every cast he has been in, including the 2021 World Hunt Finals. Loner is a no-reverse, ball-mouth-open trailer who ends it plussed up with a huge dying locate and steady chop. Loner loves getting split and is a stay-put gun-pressure tree dog. Loner's intelligence is also impressive. He knows over 12 voice and hand signal commands. Loner has a character that loves like Jesus, but he doesn't walk on water. If you're interested in breeding to Loner, contact Brett Stevens at Small Town English Kennels at 417-300-3777 or find him on Facebook. If you're interested in running a stud ad for your dog here on the Coonhound Collective podcast, reach out to us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Send us a message through Facebook or Instagram, and we'll be glad to get with you to get your ad bill and get your pricing on all of our ads. Okay, I'm a redneck, so I, I'm going to have to look this up and, and see exactly <laughs> what, what he's meaning here. But I'm going to explain the situation uh, that, that happened with me or what I think that's happened with me. And, and then you can kind of, um, explain some steps that we need to take when this happens, uh, or prior to, prior to this happening and, and to, to be prepared for. So I had a dog come in on a dog hauler. I brought him in. I have a fairing house, um, old hog fairing house barn here, um, set up for my dog kennels. You can go over to the YouTube channel and go back and the videos there. You can see, see the videos that of my dog kennels there. 
when this dog come in, it never crossed my mind about quarantining or nothing. I didn't even think about it. But I put the dog in a very far pen, and I had a litter of puppies in this dog kennel at the other end. Uh, they were just coming off the mom. The puppies were not next to the dog, and I, my puppies were healthy. They were fine. They were playing, running, no issues whatsoever. And all of a sudden, they come down. Uh, one come down kind of looking puny, not looking just right kind of sickly and the pup ended up dying immediately i contact my vet he he thought he, he did not run an actual test or anything but he he looked at them and he examined them thought they had coccidia he gave me albon said jason if that's it they'll be they'll be running around happy puppies in a couple of days that was i think on a thursday he checked back with me on friday and then he checked with me on saturday morning and then that's I told him, I said, man, they don't, they don't look good. And he said, they're, they're probably dehydrated. You need to get some fluids in them. And me and him got together and got them started on fluids. So anyway, long story short, I ended up losing my whole litter of puppies that I had there. Um, I bought some product from Revival called Kennel Saw. I pulled all my dogs out of the kennel. I followed uh, the label, just like it said. I treated walls, floors, pins, wire, because I didn't know what I had. Well, after we talked and you used the word biosecurity, I got to looking it up and um, because I couldn't, a buddy of mine, me and him talked and he said, well, it could have been that, but you know, he's not sickly acting. He's not sickly looking. And so, you know, we didn't understand, but there's a thing called uh, biological vector. Uh, and I'll let you explain all, all that stuff. Cause I'm, I'm not very familiar with it, but in that situation, we have a dog coming. Like I have, I, I, as I mean, you talked, I have a uh, squirrel dog that will be coming at the end of the month. It's just a little puppy. What should we do from the time that dog gets to our place off the dog collar for how long? And if it's a carrier of something, is there anything we can do going forward to protect our other dogs? Yeah. So. Well, I guess let's define some terms. Uh, you know, you brought up the word biosecurity and vector and all those nerdy words I had to learn in vet school. And uh, so, so biosecurity is, is kind of the idea of protecting against biological threats, I guess, is a good way to think of it. So we're trying to protect against diseases um, and getting ahead of the game rather than responding to an issue once it arises uh, by various means. And, and a lot of this uh, you know, I steal from my large animal side of the work and, and I'm sure your large animal vet deals with this pretty heavily too. And a lot of times we don't, we don't think about it so much with our dogs. Uh, but you know, then a situation crops up like you just went through and, and, uh, you start asking questions and, and we realize it's important here too. So what we're, what we're really trying to do is prevent the, the spread and transmission of these diseases. Um, and by using non, you know, medicine means, we're trying to prevent them from ever sharing them in the first place. Uh, and, and the problem is that there's there's so many diseases out there and so many things that you could run a test on. And when you when you test a dog for something, you know, you don't just send in blood to the lab and say, I want to test my dog for diseases. I mean, there's pages of diseases that you have to, as a vet, specifically test for specifically request and each one of them costs money <laughs> and so you know to just go and say i want to test this dog that's coming into my house to make sure it doesn't have any diseases it's not really practical 
what is more practical is to try to prevent that dog from giving the diseases to your dogs uh, by means of quarantining and disinfection and things like that. So the first thing is vaccinations. The, most of the diseases that are going to cause an issue are covered in a vaccine. Uh, things like parvo is still something that's huge. Uh, as many years as we've had the parvo vaccine, we've got a dog in our hospital right now getting treated for parvovirus. It's highly contagious. It's uh, it, it's something that's it's long lived in the environment, and the, really the most effective means of protecting against it is vaccination. But that's just one example of, of things that can cause problems. So making sure all of your current dogs stay up to date on their vaccines is is really really helpful in preventing them from getting something that can be brought in by another dog. Um, but also making sure that the dog that's coming into your house is up to date on vaccines is important. And, you know, I talked uh, in another podcast about vaccines and doing them at home and, and the advantages of doing it and saving money. Uh, but, you know, the disadvantage gets to come in when when you're buying a dog from somebody and, you know, maybe it's not from a buddy. Maybe it's one you found online or on a forum or something and you're bringing them in and, you know, he you ask if it's been vaccinated. Oh, yeah, I do my own vaccines. But you got to decide how much you trust this guy and how much you trust the vaccines that you put in them because you're you're risking your own dog's health at that point. So that might be a point where you consider, uh, you know, before you buy this dog, you know, do I trust this vaccines or would I like to have them boosted by a vet uh, before I bring it in? Uh, so that, that should be a consideration. Uh, and it's also vaccine timing is important too. Just sticking your dog with a needle does not mean they're vaccinated that day that you stick that, that vaccine in there. The, the vaccine works by exposing your dog to a piece of material that the dog's immune system then builds an immune response to, and that takes several weeks to build up. So, you know, your dog is not protected uh, until it's been several weeks. And, and in the case of your new puppy that's coming in, he's susceptible to parvovirus even after he's had his first parvovirus shot because he is has this problem called maternal antibody interference. And basically, the antibodies, the immune cells that he gets from his mama's milk interfere with his ability to respond to his vaccine. And so that's why we have to give puppies a continual parvovirus booster every three or four weeks till they get old enough for mama's immunity to wear off. Uh, but making sure the vaccines are, are up to date on your dogs and on the dogs coming in would be a great place to start. Fast that, uh, having them checked out by a vet before you bring them in, uh, Technically, if a dog is coming across state lines, if you're buying a dog from out of state, they're supposed to be accompanied by a health certificate that says that a dog has examined them and says that they're free of contagious diseases that are, you know, picked up on by an exam. And uh, having a, a vet check done before you bring a dog in is a great idea, uh, even if it's not for a health certificate for coming across state lines, even if it's just an in-state dog, uh, and having having them make sure there's no signs that they're picking up on. Uh, is, a, is a great thing to do before they come into your kennel. And then once they're there, the the biggest things are quarantine, but also being, you got to be smart about how you do that, okay? Because like you did, you put your dog on the other end of your Farron house and, and thought that was good enough. And for a lot of it, it probably was. But you get into these, some of these other nerdy words like vectors and fomites. All right, so vectors are things that can carry the disease even uh, off of your dog. So something like a mosquito 
or a bite and fly, a flea, uh, those things can hop on your dog. They bite, they get the disease, they hop over to the other side of the house to your dog, bite and spread something. So that there's some diseases that are spread that way. Then there's also diseases that are spread by what we call fomites. A fomite is just a physical object that can have whatever disease that it might be on that object. So let's say for parvovirus, if you go and you scoop poop out of the new dog's run with the same poop scooper that you then go in and you set on the floor of your new kennel and you scoop the poop into that one and that new dog's got parvovirus, well, guess what? That parvovirus is now on that kennel scoop that's now in the new kennel and you've just spread the virus on a fomite that way. And so an important part of quarantining is not just physical separation from the rest of your, your kennel, but it's also separating things and yourself uh, from being a fomite between the new dog and the current dogs. So the best ways to go about uh, making sure you don't spread things back and forth would be to make sure you have a dedicated set of food, water bowls, uh, all of those things for that new dog that don't get shared between your current dogs. And then the easiest way to do it is to take care of your current dogs during your kennel cleanup time before you go and take care of the new dog. And that way, anything that is going to spread from the new dog to your, your current dogs um, is not going to be on your clothes, on your boots, uh, when you walk from him to them. Instead, just do it backwards and go from your new dog, your current dogs to the new dog. And, uh, and if it's not possible then the best ways to go about it is to, to try to have uh, uh, the ability to clean off your boots or your shoes. Uh, and uh, you can make some boot washes and things like that uh, to be able to do so. Um, but trying to limit the spread of not just uh, not just the dog-to-dog contact, but the spread of things between them uh, is important. And, and the length of quarantine, it depends on who you ask as to how long you should quarantine something. Uh, ideally, it would be probably at least a month. Sometimes it's not always practical. And so at least a few weeks is better than no quarantine. And uh, being diligent about how you're spreading things back and forth uh, will will really help. And really what that quarantine is trying to do is allow time for that new dog to show that he's having a problem. So if he gets there and a few days later starts having diarrhea or vomiting or acting sick, you've you've allowed that that the sickness to express itself uh before you've allowed him to direct, have direct contact with your other dogs so that's all biosecurity quarantine um and and how that goes into play and for your new puppy the biggest things are making sure it's coming with a vaccine uh, making sure that your dogs are up to date on their vaccines uh and then trying to limit spread between in contact between him and other unknown dogs uh, for your new puppy coming in, the good thing is that he's probably not carrying a whole bunch of diseases because he hasn't been exposed to a whole bunch of diseases. Uh, so it's more for his protection when you're bringing him in. Um, and, and while I'm mentioning puppy, the other thing about quarantine and, and biosecurity is that the fresh puppies like you had, they're the most susceptible to just about everything. And there's some diseases, one in particular, canine herpes virus, uh, that is really, really highly contagious and it really highly affects puppies in those first few weeks of life. And how that gets brought in is just like you described, an, a new dog coming in, or even you can have dogs that carry it and they get stressed or they get sick and they start having the herpes virus shed again. 
even a dog in your current kennel. Um, so that's just one example, though. The important thing is for if you've got puppies on the ground, I would just try not to have any new dogs in at all uh, for at least probably a month before and a month after those puppies are on the ground. And ideally, till those puppies go to their new homes, uh, you would not be bringing any new dogs in or out. Uh, just because that that will really help s- just limit the spread of of things we can't vaccinate for, can't test for very readily, uh, and keep those those most vulnerable part of the population just keeps them from getting exposed whatsoever. Uh, and and those that's will be really helpful in preventing a lot of things. Yeah, and like I said, I I never I, I don't know it, it never even crossed my mind, and then um, it was actually the 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 guy that owned the the stud. Me and him was talking and um that's how it kind of come about and then uh, i heard you on ben's podcast and i thought i'm gonna t- message him and and just see just see what he what he thought and um and, and like i said that they were they were never together but now you know you, you went over some things there about you know maybe me brushing up next to him um you know feeding him or or in there changing his water out, him brushing up next to me, and then the, and then me going down and taking care of the puppies, and the puppies, you know, are jumping on my legs, and and so they're touching that same area that um, that he was also brushing up against, you know, as well. It, it could have been a, I guess, a carrier, I guess, between between the two. Absolutely, yep. And and it's always it's always hard to say to, and I think I messaged you about this. You know, it's, it's easy to blame the new dog and without fully testing and, and getting those puppies, you know, examined after death, getting an autopsy. You know, it's, it's not possible to say with 100% certainty that that was the cause, but, you know, it's it's highly likely and suspicious. Uh, but, you know, the situations where you're trying to find some, some reason for it, uh, you know, you can go and get a dog tested or necropsied and have it examined after death and see if they can detect the cause and see if you can prove what that cause is. Um, but all those things being said, yeah, it's, it's sure, sure suspicious of the new dog coming in, isn't it? <laughs> and, and those things we talked about will help limit that spread for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it could have been coincidence, but, um, yeah. cause he, I mean, he's still here. I, I'm hunting. He, he, he seems perfectly healthy. Um, so it, it could have just been coincidence, but so we get a new dog in, um, other than vaccines and stuff is, is, for a lack of knowing anything better, is there a Lysol um, type product that we could treat these dogs? Maybe the dog was healthy at at the owner's house, and maybe he got something in the dog hauler truck, or um, you know, picked it up somewhere along the way, some kind of way. Is, is there any preventative or any other measures we can take when we pull that dog off that dog hauler truck or out of the bed of a buddy's truck? um like a disinfectant type stuff nothing per se that i can think of as far as like a disinfectant but you know a bath is never a bad idea because a lot of these things that get you know spread in between dogs it'd be either be in you know respiratory secretions i'm not talking about that like snot or you know stuff they cough up uh or then in like fecal matter and so giving your dog a, a bath and helping wash as much of that off as you can uh, would be a good place to start. And then your des- disinfectants really come into play when you're talking about, uh, you know, your clothes, your kennels, your feeding water and equipment, things like that. 
uh, and there's a bunch of them out there. Kennel saw we actually use. You mentioned that we use that in our hospital for spraying down cages and floors and tables and stuff. Um, so, there, but that's a so that's a good one. But even old bleach can do a lot. But as far as disinfecting the dog itself, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do other than just trying to get the the dirt and grime off of them and and hopefully help wash away some some diseases with it. Yeah, yeah. The in the kennel saw, uh, you know, I, I ordered it, and of course, my wife said, "My goodness, that's a lot for a gallon of something to to disinfect <laughs> a, a kennel." And I thought, you know, well, if it if there's a disease up there and this will kill it and it kills, I, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm not going to try to even go through what all it what all it says it will kill or sanitize. Um, but I thought, man, I'm going to use a, a lot of this because I have fairly large kennel but honestly a, a little bit goes a long way when you mix it you know and i mixed it on the stronger just like the label said but on the stronger end of what it said because it gives you two ways to mix it um to, to treat my i treated my walls i've treated the wire i treated the floors and um my kennel my kennel smelt the best that it's ever smelt that's for sure <laughs> and and the important thing about disinfectants uh, i'm glad you mentioned this with biosecurity is most of them do not work good in what we call organic materials. So dirt, poop, uh, hair, stuff like that. There's, there's cleaning and then there's disinfecting and you got to clean before you disinfect and get rid of as much of that organic material as you can, because you can spray bleach on your dirt, but it doesn't, doesn't work well in that dirt. It gets deactivated. So cleaning and getting as much junk out of there as you can, uh, with just good old soap and water of some sort, and then allows the disinfectant to get where it needs to. But like you said, uh, and you mentioned a couple of important things, follow the label directions, because if you're not making it strong enough, it's not going to do what it needs to do. And then the other part is you got to leave it on there long enough, because most of these uh, these viruses and things, they, they have to be exposed to that disinfectant for a certain amount of time in order to be killed. And if you just go in there and you spray your disinfectant and you immediately rinse it off, you're not you're not doing enough to actually kill what's out there uh so so follow your label directions do what it tells you to do to kill whatever it is you're trying to kill off uh and there's multiple things and like you said kennel saw is probably not the cheapest or most practical for somebody who's not doing this all the time uh but there's accelerated hydrogen peroxide there's there's this kennel saw um, bleach can do a lot but a lot of these can also damage uh, certain types of flooring or metal depending on what your kennel is made of so just do your research, read your label, and uh, choose one that's appropriate for you and your situation and your wallet. But uh, but the disinfectants, make sure you clean before you disinfect. Yeah, I, I failed to mention that I went through and I, I pulled dog houses out, water buckets out, feed buckets out, because this is the first time I've used a, a disinfectant like this. And I have a power washer. I power washed everything, walls, ceilings, floors, and got everything clean and i believe if i remember right um i think it was eight ounces to a gallon of water um and i had a little pump up sprayer that i mixed it in and i sprayed my walls i sprayed dog houses i sprayed the floors the wire and it and it said just let it sit and dry for 10 minutes and leave it um and, and so that that's what i what i did like, like i said i don't know that it killed anything but it sure made everything smell clean and and, and look, <laughs> it really looked clean afterwards 
Yeah, no, you did exactly right. Clean it and then let it sit and disinfect. I'm sure you, you killed a whole lot, so that's good. Yeah. Um, well, th- those, I, I mean, we could go on for hours, and we've been on here almost an hour. It seems hard to believe, but there, there's so many topics out there that we could go on forever, and, and I'd love to have you back in the future. Maybe we can, can go over some other topics, but it, it, was there anything else that you could think of that, that we needed to cover in those areas before we – before we get to shutting this down here hmm i'd say uh and i've encouraged this in pretty much all of my articles and encouraged it on my podcast i did and on my social media the best thing to do is to get established with the vet before you run into your problem whether that's tick-borne disease whether that's a wound in the field uh you know a biosecurity issue because having a relationship with your vet uh, and that doesn't mean bringing your dog in once two years ago for a cut on its leg. That's not a relationship. Having a current annual exam that has a valid veterinary client patient relationship attached to it and being able to call in to your vet and ask about this, whatever situation that's going on, and hopefully have priority to come in and have a problem taken care of. Uh, that That's probably the most important thing you can do for any of these areas we're talking about uh, because it's just impossible to cover everything you could need to know on any of these areas in, in an hour long podcast episode and uh, being able to talk with your vet about specific questions and issues in your situation uh, is super important and helpful. Uh, so that's, that's the overarching message uh, for pretty much anything I talk about is, is make sure that you rely on, on your, your local vet. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because like my, my vet, Zach Phillips is my vet. He's a large animal vet. And like I said, he reached out to me on that Saturday morning uh, to check on the puppies to see how they were before he, you know, went out of town to do work. And, I, and I'm so thankful to have a relationship like that with my vet because he is one that if I had a dog fall out of a tree or get cut real bad on a barbed wire fence or something in the middle of the night that I, I, I could shoot him a text and, and meet him somewhere or take him, take him to the, to his house. And he's, he's always ready to, to jump in and help. And, and that's very, very important. And, and I do, I, I do agree with you there. You need to have some sort of relationship with a vet around you and, you know, just find, find a good one and preferably for me one one like i have he, he used to he used to hunt with hounds so he he kind of kind of has a little bit of understanding and he he has cattle dogs that he works his cows with so he uh he has quite a few few dogs so he's uh he's pretty understanding when it comes to those type of things absolutely that's awesome um well we're we're at like 50 minutes or so right at an hour do, do you have a hunting story of any kind whether it be with your tree dog or deer hunting or or anything that you could share with us before we before we close this out hmm. yeah i put you on the spot well, i forgot I... to tell you that <laughs> that's all right i get put on the spot all day long every day oh clients catch me flat-footed all the time oh i guess i could tell you probably something about uh my my first cur dog uh bell <laughs> she uh she was a ladder cur like i mentioned earlier and uh, I don't know if it's just my luck that in having these dogs or if this is a trend in the breed. I've only had two, so I can't really say. But, but she was a little bit of a slow starter, too. And in uh, her first squirrel season was very similar to, uh, to Rip's. And she, uh, we hunted in the woods. And this is, I was 15, starting her off. And, and we hunted and hunted and hunted and walked and walked and walked. And I would get in the woods and I'd see squirrels running overhead. 
And uh, I'd go try to hold her head to where she'd look up there in the tree and watch that thing running around. And it just, she had no idea what she was out there doing. She was having fun, but had no idea what she was out there doing. And uh, we, I'd get so frustrated. And we, we'd gotten the woods so many times where she had so many opportunities. And uh, our squirrel season at the time uh, would run from the beginning of September and in January 31st or whatever the last Saturday was there. And uh, we hunted probably four or five days a week with me being in high school for that entire season. Never treat a squirrel. Well, doggone it, if February 1st, I leave my gun back home like a good boy because the season's closed. If we don't walk out there in the woods, and guess what she did, Jason? She treated, she treated a daggone, <laughs> that daggone first squirrel she ever did. And now I don't know if I've ever felt a mix of rage and uh, excitement like I'd felt right then. <laughs> she yeah. she drove me crazy, but that dag dog on it that uh, that is what I think of every time I think of of many things about patience, uh, but especially with this current dog is uh, all all it takes is maybe just one more day in the woods, and uh, sometimes all it takes with some of these cases I work on is just just a little bit more, just one more question or just one different medication we need to try. And uh, she, she taught me a lot, and I didn't even know it when I was a kid. Uh, but uh, that, that last day, is after it was closing season, on it. I love that dog, but that, that day she, uh, she about didn't survive. So that story sticks out to me from Bill. Yeah, that's that that's a great story, and I think we've all felt that frustration. I got a, a buddy of mine, Brett Stevens, who's uh, got a couple of young dogs, and he's got one he's about ready to give up on, and I, I think I think he, she gave him a, a little glimmer of hope uh, over the weekend when, when he was hunting. So, um, yeah, I, I'm I, I know we can all relate to to that fr- frustration, and and just we need to, need to learn to be patient with them. Sometimes it takes takes a few a little bit longer than others. That's exactly right. So, uh, Doc, if you don't have anything else, I think we'll shut it down here. And if someone was interested in living out, if they lived out in Virginia in your area, uh, how, how would they get a hold of you if they wanted to have you look after their dogs? Sure. Yeah, you can uh, reach out to me on social media, like you said. I'm on Facebook and Instagram, uh, Tree Dog Doc. And our clinic name is Riverside Veterinary Hospital. And uh, I'm associate there, and myself and my my boss, Dr. Ryan, uh, she is she's an awesome uh, vet as well, and she uh, is very practically minded and sees a lot of we see a lot of bear dogs and coon dogs, especially uh, in our area. But uh, Riverside Veterinary Hospital is our name. We're in we're in Good, Virginia, which is in Bedford County. And uh, if you're listening to this and you're close enough of a drive, we'd love to have you. Well, there you go. I know we have some some people in Virginia that listen to this. One of my sponsors that sponsors this podcast, Nathan Kaufman with CZ Welding and uh, Custom Doll Boxes, it lives in Virginia. So if you guys are in Virginia or close enough, you can get over and see Dr. Young. By all means, go support this guy. He, he took his time out uh, today to be on here and share this information with us. And I, I'm appreciative of it, as I'm sure other people will be as too. So if you don't have anything else to add, Doc, I think we'll we'll shut her down here. Maybe we can get together in, in the future and, and do this again. That sounds like a good plan. Thank you, Jason, for having me on. I appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Thank you. Have a good night. All right, you too.
Thanks, guys, for listening to the Coontown Collective Podcast today. We really appreciate you taking your time out of your day to listen to the podcast. If you don't mind, head over to Facebook and give us a like, and head over to Instagram and give us a follow. It's both at The Coonhound Collective. Also, if you would like to reach us here at The Coonhound Collective, you can reach us at thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. If there's someone that you would like to hear on the podcast or a product that you would like to hear talked about, please send it to thecoonhoundcollective at gmail.com. Thanks again. Have a great day.